0: Chapter Thirteen of Opening a Chestnut Burr by Edward P. Rowe. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Like Many Waters. Chapter Thirteen, Interpreting Chestnut Burrs. The conversation had taken a turn that Gregory wished to avoid, so he said, "Miss Walton, you regard me as wretched authority on theology, and therefore my opinions will go for nothing." "'Suppose we join the children on the hill, for I am most anxious to commence the search for the clue to your favour. Give me your hand, that as your attendant I may at least appear to assist you in climbing, though I suppose you justly think you could help me more than I can you.' "'And if I can, why should I not?' asked Annie kindly. "'Indeed, Miss Walton, I would crawl up first, but thanks to your reviving influences I am not so far gone as that.' then you would not permit a woman to reach out a helping hand to you talk not against turks and arabs how do christian men regard us but you look upon me as a heathen beg your pardon i do not miss walton give your honest opinion of me just what you think will you do the same of me oh certainly no do not answer in that tone on your honor gregory was now caught if he agreed he must state his doubts of her real goodness his low estimate of women in general, which led to his purpose to tempt her. This would not only arm her against his efforts, but place him in a very unpleasant light. I beat a retreat, Miss Walton. I am satisfied that your opinion would discourage me utterly. You need have no fears of that kind, she said. Although my opinion would not be flattering, it would be most encouraging. No, Miss Walton, I am not to be caught. My every glance and word reveal my opinion of you while yours of me amounts to what I used to hear years ago. You are a bad boy now, but may become a good one. Come, give me your hand. As she complied, she gave him a quick, keen look. Her intuition told her of something hidden, and he puzzled her. Her hand was ungloved, and he thought, When have I clasped such a hand before? It could help a Hercules. At any rate, he would like to hold it, for it is alive." There is as much diversity of character in hands as in faces. Some are very white and shapely, and a diamond flashes prettily upon them, but having said this you have said all. Others suggest honest work, and plenty of it, and for such the sensible will ever have a genuine respect. There are some hands that make you think of creatures whose blood is cold. A lady's hand in society often suggests feebleness, lack of vitality. It is a thing to touch decorously, and if feeling betray you into giving a hearty grasp and pressure, you find that you are only causing pain and reducing the member to a confused jumble of bones and sinews. There are hands that suggest fancy work, light crochet needles, and neuralgia. Annie's hands was not one that a sculptor would care to copy, though he would find no great fault with it, but a sculptor would certainly take pleasure in shaking hands with her, the pleasure that is the opposite of our shrinking from taking the hand of the dead. It was soft and delicate to the pressure, and yet firm. It reminded one of silk drawn over steel, and was all electric and throbbing with life. You felt that it could give you the true grasp of friendship, that it had power to do more than barely cling to something, that it could both help and sustain, yet its touch would be gentleness itself beside the couch of suffering. When they had reached the brow of the hill he was much more exhausted than she, and sat down panting. "'Miss Walton,' he asked, Do you not despise a feeble man what kind of feebleness do you mean the weakness that makes me sit pale and panting here while you stand there glowing with life and vigor a veritable hebe all your compliments cannot balance that imputation against me such weakness awakens my pity sympathy and wish to help ah the emotions you would bestow on a beggar very agreeable to a man well what kind of feebleness do you despise I think I should despise a feeble, vacillating Hercules most of all—a burly, assuming sort of person, who could be made a tool of, and led to do what he knew to be mean and wrong. You must despise a great many people, then. No, I do not. Honestly, Mr. Gregory, I have no right to despise any I was only giving the reverse of my ideal man. But I assure you I share too deeply in humanity's faults to be very critical i am delighted to hear miss walton that you share in our fallen humanity for i was beginning to doubt it and you can well understand that i should be dreadfully uncomfortable in the presence of perfection if you could escape all other sources of discomfort as surely as this one you would be most happy replied annie with heightened color i shall ever think you are satirical when you speak in such style a truce miss walton only in mercy to my poor mortality be as human as you can though you seem to suspect me of a low estimate of your sex i much prefer women to saints and madonnas i am going to look for the burr this was adroitness itself on the part of gregory for of all things sensible annie conscious of faults and many struggles did not wish to give the impression that she thought herself approaching perfection and yet he had managed to make her sensitive on that point and given her a strong motive to relax strict rules of duty and act like other people as he would say jeff's limber pole was now doing effective service with many a soft thud upon the sward and leaves the burrs rained around while the detached chestnuts rattled down like hail the children were careering about this little tempest of jeff's manufacture in a state of wild glee dodging the random burrs and snatching what nuts they could in safety on the outskirts of the prickly shower at last the tree was well thrashed and had the appearance of a schoolboy bully who after bristling with threats and boasts for a long time suddenly meets his master and is left in a very meek and plucked condition but the moment jeff's pull ceased its sturdy strokes there was a rush for the spoils the children awakening the echoes with their exclamations of delight as they found the ground covered with what was more precious to them than gold even gregory's sluggish pulses tingled and quickened at the well-remembered scene and he felt a little of their excitement for the moment he determined to be a boy again and running into the charmed circle picked away as fast as any of them till his physical weakness painfully reminded him that his old tireless activity had passed away perhaps for he leaned against the trunk of the tree and noted with something of an artist's eye the pretty picture the valley beneath was beginning to glow with the richest october tints in the midst of which was his old home that to his affection seemed like a gem set in gold ruby and emerald the stream appeared white and silvery as seen through the openings of the bordering trees, and in the distance the purple haze and mountains blended together, leaving it uncertain where the granite began, as in Gregory's mind fact and fancy were confusedly mingling in regard to Miss Walton. And he soon turned from even that loved and beautiful landscape to her as an object of piquant interest, and the pleasure of analyzing and testing her character, and— Well, some hidden fascination of her own caused a faint stir of excitement at his heart, even as the October air and exercise had just tinged his pale cheeks. But Miss Walton reminded him of a young sugar maple that he had noticed, all aflame, from his window that morning, so rich and high was her color, as, still intent upon the thickly scattered nuts, she followed the old, unspent, childish impulse to gather now as she had done one of Susie's age. With a half-wondering smile Gregory watched her intent expression, so like that of the other children, and thought, well, she is the freshest and most unhackneyed girl I have ever met for one who knows so much. It seems true, as she said, that she draws her life from nature and will never grow old. Now she is a child with those children, looking and acting like them. A moment later she will be a self-possessed young lady with a quick-trained intellect that I can scarcely cope with and yet in each and every character she seems so real and vital that even I, in spite of myself, feel compelled to admit her truth. Her life is like a glad musical mountain stream, while I am a stagnant pool that she passes and leaves behind. I wonder if it is possible for one life to be awakened and quickened by another. I wonder if her vital force would be strong enough to drag another on who had almost lost the power to follow." it is said that young fresh blood can be infused directly into the veins of the old and feeble can the same be true of moral forces and a glad zest and interest in life be breathed into the jaded cloyed ennui cursed spirit of one who regards existence with dull eye sluggish pulse and heart of lead it seems to me that if any one could have such power it would be that girl there with her intense vitality and subtle connection with nature which as she says is ever young and vigorous and yet i propose to reveal her to herself as a weak vain creature whose fair seeming like a pasteboard castle falls before the breath of flattery by jove i half hope i shan't succeed and yet to satisfy myself i shall carry the test to the utmost limit in her absorbed search for nuts annie had approached the trunk of the tree and was stooping almost at gregory's feet without noticing him suddenly she turned up a burr whose appearance so interested her that she stood up to examine it and then became conscious of his intent gaze there you stand she said cool and superior criticizing and laughing at me as a great overgrown child if you had looked more closely you would have seen anything rather than cool criticism in my face i wish you could tell me your secret miss walton what is your hidden connection with nature that her strong beautiful life flows so freely into yours you would not believe me if i told you indeed miss walton I should be inclined to believe anything you told me, you seem so real. But pardon me, you have in your hand the very burr I have been looking vainly for. Perhaps in it I may find the coveted clue to your favor. It may winningly suggest to you my meaning, while plain bald words would only repel. If I could only interpret nature as you breathe her spirit, I might find that the autumn leaves were like illuminated pages, and every object, even such an insignificant one as this burr, an inspired illustration. When men come to read nature's open book, publishers may despair. If I wish to tell you how I would dwell in your thoughts, what poet has written anything equal to this half-open burr? It portrays our past, it gives our present relations, and suggests the future. Only, like all parables, it must not be pressed too far, and too much prominence must not be given to some mere detail. These prickly, outward-pointing spines represent the reserve and formality which keep comparative strangers apart but now the burr is half-open, revealing its heart of silken down. So if one could get past the barriers which you, alike withal turn toward an indifferent or unfriendly world, a kindliness would be found that would surround a cherished friend as these silken sides envelop this sole and favored chestnut. Again, note that the burr is half-open, indicating, I hope, the progress we have made toward such friendship. I have no true friend in the wide world that I can trust, and i would like to believe that your regard like this burr is opening toward me the final suggestion that i should draw may seem selfish and yet is it not natural this chestnut dwells alone in the very centre of the burr we do not like to share a supreme friendship there are some in whose esteem we would be first when gregory finished he was half frightened at his words For in developing his fanciful parallel in the bold style of gallantry he had learned to employ toward the bells of the ballroom, and from a certain unaccountable fascination that Annie herself had for him, he had said more than he meant. Good heavens, he thought, if she should take this for a declaration and accept me on the spot, I should then be in the worst scrape of my sorry life. Miss Walton's manner rather puzzled him. Her heightened color and quickened breathing were alarming while the contraction of her brow and the firmness of her lips, together with an intent look on the chestnut in the center of the burr, rather than a languishing look at him or at nothing, were more assuring. She perplexed him still more, when, as her only response to all this sentiment, she asked, "'Mr. Gregory, will you lend me your pin-knife?' Without a word he handed it to her, and she at the same time took the burr from his hand, and daintily plucking out the chestnut tossed the burr rather contemptuously away." Mr gregory if i understand your rather far-fetched and forced interpretation of this little parable of nature you chose to represent yourself by this great lonely chestnut occupying the space where three might have grown on observing this emblematic nut closely i detect something that may also have a place in your parable and she thus pushed aside the little quarrel at the small end of the nut which partially concealed a wormhole and cutting through the shell showed the destroyer in the very heart of the kernel there was nothing far-fetched in this suggestion of nature and he saw and he understood that miss walton saw evil enthroned in the very depths of his soul the revelation of the hateful truth was so sudden and sharp that his face darkened with involuntary pain and anger it seemed to him that by the simple act of showing him the worm-infested chestnut she had rejected anything approaching even friendship and had also given him a good but humiliating reason why He lost his self-possession, and forgot that he deserved a stinging rebuke for his insincerity. He would have turned away in coldness and resentment. His visit might have come to an abrupt termination, had not Annie, with that delicate womanly tact, which was one of her most marked characteristics, interrupted him, as he was about to say something to the effect, Miss Walton, since you are so much holier than I, it were better that I should contaminate the air you breathe no longer. She looked into his clouded face with an open smile, and said, Mr. Gregory, you have been unfortunate in your choice of a burr, now let me choose for you, and she began looking around for one suited to her taste and purpose. This gave him time to recover himself, and to realize the folly of quarrelling or showing any special feeling in the matter. After a moment he was only desirous of some pretext for laughing it off, but how to manage it he did not know, and was inwardly cursing himself as a blundering fool, and no match for this child of nature." Annie soon came toward him, saying, Perhaps this spur will suggest better meanings. You see it is wide open. That means perfect frankness. There are three chestnuts here instead of one. We must be willing to share the regard of others. One of these nuts has the central place. As we come to know people, we usually find someone occupying the supreme place in their esteem, and though we may approach closely, we should not wish to usurp what belongs to another under jeff's vigorous blows the burr and its contents have had a tremendous downfall but they have not parted company true friends should stick together in adversity what do you think of my interpretation i think you are a witch beyond doubt and if you had lived a few centuries ago you would have been sent to heaven in a chariot of fire really mr gregory you give me a hot answer but it is with such a smiling face that i will take no exception Let us slowly follow Jeff and the children along the brow of the hill to the next tree. The fact is I am a little tired. What controversy could a man have with a pretty and wearied girl? Gregory felt like a boy who had received a deserved whipping, and yet was compelled and somewhat inclined to act very amiably toward the donor. But he was fast coming to the conclusion that this unassuming country girl was a difficult subject on which to perform his experiment. He was learning to have a wholesome respect for her that was slightly tinged with fear, and doubts of success in his plot against her grew stronger every moment. And yet the element of persistence was large in his character, and he could not readily give over his purpose, though his cynical confidence had vanished. He now determined to observe her closely and discover, if possible, her weak points. He still held to the theory that flattery was the most available weapon. Though he saw he could employ it no longer in the form of fulsome and outspoken compliment the innate refinement and truthfulness of annie's nature revolted at broad gallantry and adulation he believed that he must reverse the tactics he usually employed in society but not the principles therefore he resolved that his flattery should be delicate subtle manifested in manner rather than in words he would seem submissive he would humbly wear the air of a conquered one He would delicately maintain the I am at your mercy attitude. These thoughts flashed through his mind as they passed along the brow of the hill, which at every turn gave them a new and beautiful landscape. But Vales in Eden would not have held his attention then. To his perplexity this new acquaintance had secured his undivided interest. He felt that he ought to be angry at her, and yet was not. He felt that a man, who had seen as much of the world as he, should be able to play with this little country girl as with a child but he was becoming convinced that with all his art he was no match for her artlessness in the interpretation of the burr of her own choice annie had suggested that the central and supreme place in her heart was already occupied and his thoughts recurred frequently to that fact with uneasiness the slightest trace of jealousy even as the merest twinge of pain is often precursor of serious disease indicated the power miss walton might gain over one who thought himself proof against all such influence but he tried to satisfy himself by thinking it is her father who occupies the first place in her affections then a moment later with a mental protest at his folly what do i care who has the first place it's well i do not for she would not permit such a reprobate as i with evil in my heart like that cursed worm in the chestnut to have any place worth naming unless i can introduce a little canker of evil in her heart also i wish i could that would bring us nearer together and upon the same level annie saw the landscapes she looked away from the man by her side and for a few moments forgot him the scenes upon which she was gazing were associated with another and she ardently wished that that other and more favored one could exchange places with gregory her eyes grew dreamy and tender as she recalled words spoken in days gone by when her heart thrilling with a young girl's first dream of love she had leaned upon charles hunting's arm and listened to that sweetest music of earth all the more enchanting when broken and incoherent and hunting with all his coolness and precision in wall street had been excessively nervous and unhappy in his phraseology upon one occasion and tremblingly glad to get any terms from the girl who seemed a child beside him annie would not permit an engagement to take place hunting was a distant relative she had always liked him very much but was not sure she loved him she was extremely reluctant to leave her father and was not ready for a speedy marriage so she frankly told him that he had no rival nor was there a prospect of any but she would not bind him or permit herself to be bound at that time if they were fated for each other the way would eventually be made perfectly clear he was quite content especially as mr walton gave his hearty approval to the match and he regarded the understanding as a virtual engagement. He wanted Annie to wear the significant ring, saying it should not be regarded as binding, but she declined to do so. Nearly two years had passed, and while she put him off she satisfied him that he was steadily gaining the place that he wished to possess in her affections. He was gifted with much tact, and did not press his suit, but quietly acted as if the matter were really settled, and it were only a question of time. Annie had also come to feel in the same way. She did not see a very great deal of him, though he wrote regularly, and his letters were admirable. He became her ideal man, and dwelt in her imagination as a demigod. To the practical mind of this American girl, his success in the vast and complicated transactions of business were as grand as the achievements of any hero. Her father had been a merchant, and she inherited a respect for the calling. Her father also often assured her that her lover bade fair to lead in commercial circles. Hunting has both nerve and prudence, he was wont to say, and to impetuous Annie these qualities, combined with Christian principles, formed her very ideal man. Her lover took great pains not to undeceive her as to his character, and indeed, with the infatuation of his class, hoped that when he had amassed the fortune that glittered ever just before him, he would assume in some princely mansion the princely knightly soul with which she had endowed him. So he did not press matters. Indeed, in his rapid accumulation of money he scarcely wished any interruption, and Annie thought all the more of him that he was not dawdling around making love half the time. There was also less danger of disenchanting her by his presence, for woman's perception is quick. But now she inwardly contrasted her strong masterful knight sans peur et sans reproche as she believed with the enfeebled shrunken man at her side gregory suffered dreadfully by the comparison the worm-eaten chestnut seemed truly emblematic and in spite of herself her face lighted up with exultation and joy that the man of her choice was a man and not one upon whom she could not lean for even physical support gregory caught her expression and said quickly Your face is full of sudden gleams. Tell me what you are thinking about." She blushed deeply in the consciousness of her thoughts, but after a moment said, "'I do not believe in the confessional.' He looked at her keenly, saying, "'I wish you did, and that I were your father confessor.' She replied, laughing, "'You are neither old nor good enough. If I were of that faith, I should require one a great deal older and better than myself. But here we are at our second tree, which Jeff has just finished. I am going to be a child again and gather nuts as before. I hope you will follow suit and not stand leaning against the tree laughing at me. End of chapter 13